What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 18th, 2020. This week's episode, it's the UFC 254 preview show coming to you live from Abu Dhabi. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and in today's show, we'll be talking about UFC Fight Island 6. We'll be recapping the fight between Brian Ortega and the Korean Zombie. We'll be talking about the latest with Conor McGregor. Will he fight Dustin Poirier on January 23rd, and will it be at the Cowboys Stadium? We'll also talk about the upcoming bantamweight title fight that was announced between Pyotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling. And we'll finish it out with a talk about UFC 254 with the undisputed lightweight title on the line between Habib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje. Here to help me out with all of it, coming to you live from Southern California, it's Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. uh, I'm happy to hear your voice. Happy to know that you're in Abu Dhabi, man. How does it feel? Happy to know I made it. Oh um, yes, but that the fact that you're there. <laughs> you know what? It, 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 yes, it's exciting. It feels crazy. Um, I think the only thing, like, um, just like anything else, when you travel, it's like you go outside, and it's funny because, like, for example, from my window, there's another hotel that's the Park Inn, and it says the Park Inn, but then it also has what I'm assuming is Park Inn in Arabic, right there in the big neon letters. So it's like. Yeah. And, you know, you're just getting a lot of that. All the street signs have a lot of Arabic and English. And, you know, there's just a... I'll say this. It is very Americanized for being, um, you know, a roughly 15-hour flight from the United States. So it's been quite something. I'll say that. Okay. Okay. So, uh... I mean, we have a lot yeah, of fights. I mean, so we could talk about the trip, but I, I think know, let's I know. get into it. I was like, it. I don't want to get into it just yet. Yeah. yeah but it, so it, much it, happened. It's been a long trip. I'll say that. And I'm still on okay. the I'm on the second half of the 48-hour quarantine. So I'm told within about um, 12-ish hours. No. Roughly about uh, this time. By this time tomorrow, I have, I have my freedom to explore the rest of Fight Island. Okay. Yeah, so we'll get into that. Um, Natalie, last night, Brian Ortega and the Korean Zombie. To, I think uh, probably the most anticipated main event out of the fight nights as opposed to the pay-per-views. Um, we'll talk about Brian Ortega and his hair, but I think it is more important. Um, that was T-City 2.0. His movement looked great. His... Uh, and I think we touched on it, you know, last time we saw him, good boxing, power, clearly big, powerful guy at 145, a powerful athlete, um, one of the bigger guys in the weight class, and of course, his great jiu-jitsu. Physically, he even looked different. I felt like he didn't look quite as bulky as he did last time, if, I, if I'm being honest. I felt like he was a little leaner, his stance was longer, and just really his footwork and timing um, he would throw punches and he would get out of the way. And I think that just really his timing was excellent. Korean Zombie was tough. He ate some big shots like, you know, we've come to know him. But usually Zombie can walk you down and his power kind of does the rest, you know, to really do the damage. 
Ortega really wasn't there to eat too many of those big shots to take too much damage. And he was able to keep landing as the fight went on. And really just, I can't say enough good things. He looked like a very tactical kickboxer as opposed to just a boxer. And just the timing and the footwork. Uh, what can I say? It was just a brilliant, brilliant performance. Dare I say it, he made a choice to let his hair stop holding him back. <laughs> yes, this is the one instance where cutting your hair actually gives you strength. Not like, you know, Samson, uh, where he cut his hair and lost his strength. So, who would have figured? Uh, yeah, it's safe to say Brian Ortega, he's a new man, right? We both picked Zombie to win. <laughs> We're both dead wrong. Um Ortega outmaneuvered Zombie like almost every turn. I was a little nervous in the first round. Zombie was pressuring. He had some successful flurries. Uh, and he looked fearless. That was what made me the most nervous is that he mm-hmm. looked like he had no concern over Ortega's power, Ortega as a fighter. That look started to fade, turned to confusion because Zombie never figured out anything. Uh, never, never, never figured out the Ortega puzzle, right? And, and nobody could have because this was a brand new, as you said, 2.0, Ryan Ortega 2.0. Um, what he really reminded me of, honestly, oh, Brian Ortega is Thug Rose. The way he was moving his body, his his hips in and out, striking backwards, striking on the on the pivot. Uh, if you just do a quick, you know. Side by side, I think I think you might agree with me. I really kept thinking that looks like Thug Rose, looks like Thug Rose, and not just because of the shaved head, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this was an excellent um, return to the octagon for Brian Ortega. I would say the next opponent. Okay, so yeah, I said uh, Zombie couldn't figure him out. The next opponent, whoever that may be, and you know they were already talking about who it could be. You know, he'll have basically just five rounds worth of data to go off of. Korean Zombie was the sacrificial lamb. He didn't have anything. Nobody knew what Ortega was going to look like. I think even though Ortega changed teams or, or you know started with a new team, I don't think anyone could have predicted that he would come out looking this vastly improved as a striker, as an MMA fighter. It was a great surprise. And so so I uh, going back to whoever his next opponent is going to be, you know, you can go look at the old footage from Ortega. It's not going to help you. You just have these five rounds to go off. And he showed a lot, but you get the feeling there's still a lot more to go. So, you know, like that spinning elbow that <laughs> Pari Korean Zombie was like, not another elbow, please. I can't lose this way again. And he managed to stay uh, to stay on his feet, but his jaw hurt him. But, but all in all, uh, incredible performance by Brian Ortega. He is a new man. And uh, I do have a question for you. Mm-hmm. He got rid of... His whole team, right? Does that include his his um, his boxing coach, the one who used to like train him out of a garage? Uh, the one from the Modelo commercial. That's actually a good yes, question. I um, I mean, come on, you guys are all thinking it. Uh, you know what? I'm actually not sure because I think the only one he kept was Henry Gracie. I'd yeah. have to get back to you, but, but I'm not entirely sure. If he did, though, that would be quite something, in my opinion. Yeah, but it's a little um, shocking, right? Because they were so close, had a long history. So, but I mean, yeah, clearly, I, what he did, all the moves he made, paid major dividends last night. I think for me, the biggest thing, and um, it'll relate to this week's main event, is that it reminds me a little bit of Justin Gaethje. I mean, 
you know, Justin Gaethje, like, overnight when he made his UFC debut, he became instantly, arguably, the most exciting guy on the roster, certainly up there, very popular guy, and, you know, he was undefeated leading up to the his losses against Eddie and um, Dustin Poirier, but, you know, when you've been successful for so long, you're already so popular doing what you do, to reinvent yourself and now you're on this kind of run... It's just, you know, like, that's a crazy thing to ask somebody. And it's something you don't expect because, you know, it's like, look, you know, like, I'll say it, like, there's some guys, you know, uh, why am I blanking on it? Mike Perry, Nick Diaz, others, you know, it's like, look, you know, win or lose, I'm here to fight this way. And kind of like, I'd like to win a belt, but I'm here for a good time. To be... A fighter like that and completely reinvent yourself. I mean, Brian Ortega, you could argue, he was the most popular non-UFC champion on the roster leading up to that fight with Max. And so for him to make all these changes and do that, I think that says a lot about his dedication. To me, I think the biggest thing was like, okay, you were already popular and really doing a fantastic job before you lost the fight. You had a bunch of injuries the fact that between all of that and with all those factors and changing the team, the fact that, you know, as they said on the broadcast with DC, went back to the lab and just completely came out with a brand new product, it looked like, I think that that just says a lot about his dedication and his love for the fight game. And I think that a lot of people, maybe myself included, you kind of felt like, well, maybe he added a few more kicks, but he's still going to be mostly a boxer and boxer and jiu-jitsu fighter. No, he really went out there looking like a very tactical striker, multifaceted with the kicks and the knees and the just such a different arsenal on the feet. And I think that once again, speaking to it, he wasn't it wasn't really broken before. Yeah, he'd lost to Max, but look what he was doing before then. And to go through that reinvention with everything going on, I think that says everything you need to know about, you know, where Brian Ortega is at mentally and Remember his age. He's still a very young guy in the game. How old is he? 20, 25? I want, he, he's yeah. got to be under 29. i got to... I'd imagine. If he's That's much older, cool. I'd be shocked. While you're looking let's that see. up, um, let's talk about a few other things. 29. With it, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Brian Ortega with that victory... I think that, um, look, let's be honest, the Yair Zabit fight, the fact that it keeps getting pushed back, I think the UFC is officially, like, look, the fact is we couldn't get it done. We gotta, we gotta get things rolling along. Um, I think it's pretty clear that they're, you know, unless that fight were to happen very soon and they were to land something like Joaquin Buckley's knockout, Brian Ortega has this type of shot locked in. I cannot see any other scenario where that changes. Uh, go back to his popularity. Go back to how good this one looked. Go back to the fact that I feel like a lot of people were watching this fight. Um, and I think that speaks to just popularity of zombie, the fight island at factor and everything else. I really like it. Um, uh, Brian Ortega versus Volkanovski. What are your initial thoughts after last night? Is exciting as uh, excitement, I guess. Um, part of me, it was like a split a little bit. I was like, oh, that's great. That's exciting. But maybe, is it too soon? My first thought uh, for, for Ortega, does he need another fight? 
But, you know, he sounded ready to go, of course. No one would ever say they weren't. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't think who else would be better. Like, you're not going to let him fight. You're not going to make him fight Max again. We do want to see that. But um, if I had a choice between Max and um, Volkanovski, I actually would rather see him fight Volkanovski first and then go fight Max after Max. You know, you'd want Max to get another win somewhere else first because I get a feeling that Ortega, this new version, is going to be a challenge for, for Holloway as well. So mostly I'm happy with it, just a little nervous for Ortega because it's so fast. You know what? Um, I, I agree with you on that. It's... It's going to be weird, but I'm going to relate it a bit to another situation, and that's um, when we had Raquel Pennington challenge Amanda Nunes after being out almost two years. It's like, yeah, you know, like, don't forget. I think, though, that this one comes together as a sign of the times. I think that when you look at it, the featherweight division, you can give it to Zabit straight up, but I think, um, I think a lot of people would say you want to see Zabit get a signature victory um he's fought a lot of good guys but i don't think he's fought like that top five established high level featherweight calvin cater is getting there but i think a lot of people would say he wasn't there last year when zabit beat him and it's been a year since then i think people want to see zabit fight yair fight max fight you know Fight somebody, fight Ortega, which I thought that they were, you know, I asked Ortega, he said they weren't close. I think that was a rumor in April that they were going to fight on the Habib Tony card. So I think that Zabit just needs that signature win. So, you know, and Yair Rodriguez, same with the layoff. He hasn't fought since Zombie. When you think about it, Zombie, since that fight with Yair, he's fought three times with yesterday. I really think that just kind of says a lot. You want somebody, you know, to walk in there. I think with this win for Ortega at this time, it just makes sense. And I think from what we saw yesterday, I'll be honest, it's tough to say, well, jump him, throw him back into a title fight. Uh, but in all honesty, it's like, if not now, when, you know, I think that um, off that victory, like what other option makes sense for Volkanovski? who's already months removed from the last fight and looks like he's ready to go. So I'm okay with it. I understand your reservations for sure, but I mean, he looked good enough. I, I'm here for it. Yeah, basically is where, where I shake out on it too. Even though I feel like it's, it's a rush. It's like you look at the rankings you look at the names. Well, kind of, that's the only person who's looking great. Just one and is, not otherwise, you know, compromised, engaged, uh, unavailable. So I think it's probably going to happen. The hair. I mean, uh, he, <laughs> he lost it for a good cause. He has already said he's going to grow it back. What did you think when he weighed in and it's like, <gasps> he did Dude, it. my first thought when I saw the, the image of him without hair was, oh my goodness, he doesn't know how his, you know, like, like, how is he going to react when he starts, the sweat starts pouring into his eyes because the hair isn't there to absorb it? That was literally my first thought. It was like the, the like mechanics of not having hair in a fight. It's going to be a completely new experience. Or if he ever had a shaved head before, it's been a long time. So my first thought was concern for him having to deal with sweat, more sweat in his eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and then 
I don't know, like when you get a haircut, I don't know how long you've ever let your hair go, but like it feels so different, especially if you've cut off a good amount, right? It changes how you move your head. It changes how, you know, the hair that you feel on your neck. So all these like maybe silly little things, I worried that maybe they could affect how he feels, but mostly it was the sweat that concerned me. Then my husband was like, I don't even think that locks of love is in, is around anymore. So is that who he was going to donate it to? I, I can't remember now. I believe it was locks of love. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, I think they stopped accepting human hair a while ago. I have to, I have not looked this up to confirm. But, so my thought there was like, I hope Ortega did research and actually, you know, made sure that there was a, a place that would be willing to accept his hair before he cut it off. I mean, uh, you know what? A great cause. I'll just say it right now. It was holding him back. You know what? I thought it was the source of his power. Instead, we're finding out it was that weight he didn't need. Brian Ortega, I stand with you. Yeah. I mean, anyway. he probably uh, felt fresh. and. Uh, I mean, imagine like going a for a run after that. <laughs> Imagine going for a run after you shave your head. I can. Oh my God. The breeze so must feel weird. <laughs> or a shower, like a cold shower, like, oh boy. Um, let's talk yeah. about the co main event, uh, Jessica Andrade. Um, I think the thing about that fight, Caitlin Chukagan was um, doing well. And I think that uh, really Jessica, very tough. And I think that, I'll say this, she didn't look as cut. I felt as she normally does at 115, which, you know, you're packing on 10 more pounds and she's had to deal with the fight island shift and everything else this week. But I think that when one, maybe she did hit her on the right spot, but I also think that that was a great sign. I think that her, her instincts were still the same, you know, like she's, she smelled blood in five seconds, 10 seconds. She didn't care. She took flight and she went at Caitlin and, she got the win at the at the buzzer or the first round. Um, I will say this: Caitlin kind of got up and recovered quickly, which made me feel like, you know, five more seconds, she probably would have gone back to the corner and recovered a little bit. But it was not meant to be. Um, I'll say this: so we have an interest. Well, first off, do you have anything to say about flyweight Valentina? Flyweight Andrade. Uh, yeah. Like, any thoughts on her performance, how she looked, just being in the division? Yeah, two thoughts. Um, the physique looked a little different. I did notice that for sure. And um, that punch, what shocked me wasn't the punch that she and that she had the power, but Trukagin's reaction. It spun her around like a top. And then she's like, oh, man, I better put my eyes back on Andrage. Andrage pounced. Now, if she had pounced on someone like Whaley Zhang, Maybe the outcome wouldn't have been the same. But Chukagian didn't have much in, uh, to threaten her with. Even if she was able to throw a shot in her retreat, her power is not close to Wei Li Zhang's, her efficiency, her speed. So um, I think Andrade knew she was safe to, to lunge at her, to fly at her with the knee, and then another shot to the body, which was smart to stay composed and to realize that that was the, the wounded area. So I was very impressed. And uh, my first thought after that was, oh, boy, <laughs> what's next, right? There's only one person you can think of, but I'll, I'll send it back to you. 
So we have an interesting situation because you have Lauren Murphy. She's no longer fighting, you know, one of the top contenders in Cynthia Calvillo. If I'm not mistaken, she's fighting a relative. I want to say it's a newcomer. I'm going to double check that right now. But um, you know what? With that uh, situation, does this kind of make Jessica Andrade the top contender? Because when I look at flyweight, this is a big fight. I think people felt like if Lauren Murphy or Cynthia, you know, whoever won between Lauren Murphy and Cynthia were to win, then they would be next. But then we have the situation. Um, I've already we've already said it enough. Uh, Jennifer Maya, this is David versus Goliath to the max for you know in that fight. I think if Valentina wins, I mean. You know what? You could. I, I'll say this. I am really intrigued now to find out where are they at with Weili Zhang versus Rose Namajunas. Because I think that if you can make that fight in relatively soon, they would prefer that for Zhang as opposed to throwing her into a fight with Valentina potentially like se- early second quarter 2020. I mean like April if Valentina wins in November. So I think that if they could get it done like in January, they'll do it. I think if they don't, then it's possible that even though you have Lauren and Cynthia and now Jessica there, that they'll make the, you know, Zhang versus Shevchenko if Shevchenko wins. Yeah, I think Jessica, I I mean... The way that Valentina finished her, I wouldn't even consider her being able to come back through that loop anytime soon. Um, and the fight with Wei Li Zhang is very exciting, but I mean, I don't know, man. Like, Andrade is a name. She's a former champion. Like, I think the UFC might just slot her in there. Um, if if Shevchenko needs, you know, another opponent and they can't make the fight with Wei Li. <laughs> in the you know in the next quarter or the 2021 i guess i mean it's kind of like when they put aldo in for the, up for the bantamweight belt because he was a former champion he was a big name i would say andrade <laughs> is a name a good name and uh i think i think that's a possibility i mean i think to me the situation is if lauren murphy uh, by the way i looked it up lilia shakarova which she is a ufc newcomer um i think that would be four in a row for Murphy, if I'm not mistaken. But the fact is, it's like, okay, do you believe 4-0 Lauren Murphy? It's, I'll just say it, it's similar to when, what we had with Cody Garbrandt against Davison. Lauren Murphy for sure is up there and deserves it under the circumstances. But doing UFC math, what sells a pay-per-view where do they put the fight with Valentina? What kind of card? Is it a pay-per-view? Is it a fight night? What ratings-wise, you know, what are they doing with that card? I feel like, look, if it's, for example, if it were on the November card, they would definitely do Valentina versus Jessica because of the, you know, they're kind of carrying it with the double header. If we're headlining a fight night, which isn't unheard of for Valentina, you know, maybe you can get away, you know, maybe the pay-per-view isn't as important and you'd slot Lauren Murphy in there, just Gondraj fight someone like a Cynthia Calvillo or something like that when she comes back uh, after recovering from COVID. 
So when you put all of that together, it makes it very interesting. But for me, it really comes down to the fact is when are they going to make the fight with Zhang versus Rose? Because if it's too long, they may just be like, look, you know, Zhang is ready, Rose isn't, or with the travel also, you know, for Zhang. So I think that we got to get a lot more information before we find out where we at, what's going to happen. Okay. But do you have anything Wait to add to see. the picture? No, I don't. I mean, it's, it's quite a lot, but yeah. I mean, it's just one of those nights, wasn't it? But yeah, a lot yeah, of good it, stuff. Uh, James Krause just doing work. The everyman doing his job and a lot of other fun stuff on the prelims. Julian Robertson got a good win. So people were moving around pretty well. I think it was, uh, you know, depending on where you tuned in, there were a couple, you know, notable performances by people moving along in the division. Right after the fight, I mean, we had a bit of an intermission, but we did get to see Loma versus Lopez. That was a fun one. I mean, Teofimo. Yeah, that, that was, was pretty, yeah. <laughs> that was the young that lion. Was that, right? that boy is good. So, yeah, it was just all in all, it was a fun night of combat sports. Let me tell you. It was a great night. Yeah, there was a little, uh, a nice break. And uh, Ortega Zombie finished, and I tuned into ESPN, and I thought, oh, this Loma um, tail female fight's probably already halfway through, but no. <laughs> so I had to wait a little bit longer. But um, okay, two questions or two two points. One one question, one comment. Was mm -hmm. Kamzat Shemaev sitting next to Dana White? Yes. Um, is that who that was when when Crute, Jimmy Crute won and he jumped over? I was like, is that Kamzat? <laughs> so it was that was interesting. I thought that was kind of funny. They're just hanging out there. Um. Two comment, yeah, Lomachenko, Teofimo. Teofimo was fearless, man, and Lomachenko turned it on, but it was too late. He turned it on, and it was just too late. And uh, Teofimo came back in the twelfth, not came back, but you know, reminded Loma in the twelfth, "You're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna steal this fight from me, bro. I'm, uh, I'm here to kill you." And he, and he defeated him pretty soundly, I'd say. I mean, I think uh, more than anything else, um. You kind of were reminded why Loma's, uh, you know, Loma didn't get there for nothing. I think that very bluntly, most people would say it's like, why didn't he get started sooner? I think he eventually thought that he would figure out Lopez. And mind you, he's got the IQ that suggests he is very capable of doing that. That being said, it was very clear that that was not going to happen. I think that Loma figured that out just a little too late. And then that's when he started biting down on the math mouthpiece and getting after it. But by that point, Lopez had just too many rounds in the bank already. Mm -hmm. And like you said, he stood strong in the 12th round. And that was kind of all she wrote. I didn't, I was worried because I felt like Lopez had definitely done enough. And it's like, oh man, well, it's Lomachenko. It's pound yep. for pound number one, but. He now holds all the belts, so congratulations, Teofimo. I got to enjoy all of that while I've been in a 48-hour quarantine, so. <laughs> How's the food? You know what? I order room service. They do provide lunch and dinner, but I'm, I'm on such a weird schedule. Like, I'll be about to go to bed, and they drop off breakfast, and it's like, you know, so I've had to communicate with room service. Like, um, I'm good, guys. Thank you. And then they, um, you know what, uh, honestly, they have a lot of American food on the menu, so I haven't, you know, I know that Karen Bryant went crazy on the hummus and all that, like she was raving <laughs> about that on her IG. I've been 
I've had burgers and pizza and um, just regular basics. I can't say I've uh, been tempted to try yeah. the cuisine. I'm not that guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe. What about on the airplane? What kind of food did they give you there? Did they? Did you get a chance to try? Some... You know what? They had a nice French toast breakfast, and then they had like a. They had like a fancy, you know, like chicken, and then they had like a beef dinner, and it was very good. Um, okay. I, yeah. So they did. They do not cook corners. They offered champagne to everybody. You know, it was good. Did you did you take did you take a a, a grip of champagne? <laughs> I did not. It was too early, and I was like, I I just want to rest right now. You know, <laughs> other people did, and it's like, hell yeah, and I'm like go for it dude i was i'm surprised how many people drink on a plane before 11 a.m like whenever i fly i used to anyway <laughs> for work mm-hmm. it's like oh wow you guys are going for it okay all right good for you good for you <laughs> lots of people i think maybe they're nervous you know because flying is so unnatural um whatever works but uh okay one last question go what's for the it. first thing you're gonna do when you get freed from your quarantine you're gonna go hit the hit the beach Find that octagon? Yeah, you know what? So tomorrow we currently don't have anything scheduled. Um, It's weird because technically speaking, trying to stay on American time, I'll technically get my release a little close to when I'm trying to go to sleep. So I'll probably take advantage and get out a little bit. But I've been trying to get myself on the schedule so I can... um, so I can wake up because remember it's going to be an early card for Saturday morning. So I'm trying to get myself closer to waking up that 7 a.m. American time because I think prelims start at 7:30. So I'm trying to like okay, I w- it's going to feel like going to work early. Just trying to get my body used to waking up a little earlier every day. Um, but part of that means that my you know you kind of wake up in the morning, you go through a little to the evening. I'm trying to kind of get a little bit sunset through sunrise to be my schedule so you know i may hit the beach a little bit but to be honest it's probably you know probably that monday you know monday night is when i'm gonna party and hang out with people that makes sense yeah justin gage he he's uh he's waiting for your text you know what i had a good conversation with trevor whitman and you know, uh, it's look, it's early morning. Uh, th- I'm not trying to be a reporter yet, but I was tempted yeah. to be like, hey, coach, uh, <clears throat> when can we talk? <laughs> when can we talk to everybody? <laughs> but no, I was very respectful of everyone's space. So, um, but yeah, I have, uh, I did connect with a couple fighters, and it's like, hey, you know, I, I do plan to like say, hey, you know, when you're out and I'm out, can we make something happen? And with a little bit of that is in the works. I'll tell you that. That's great. But, um, wow. Yeah, the biggest thing I could say is like, you know, you do the flight. Uh, like I said, um, you go through it. It's like 22. Uh, like I was up 22 hours overall, I felt like. Um, I'm not a big plane sleeper and I didn't expect to be. So after all that happened, it was just essentially like, it, it's just weird. The time difference for sure is the hardest part. Uh going to sleep when the sun is coming up is very hard but uh overall the experience they they are legit they do treat you very very well they do get everything quickly so i can't complain about that 
Dude, well, I'm so happy you're there. Congratulations again. Enjoy. You're in freaking Abu Dhabi. Like, when in your life did you think you'd be there? It's just amazing. I love it. I will say this. It does feel like I'm in a once-in-a-lifetime adventure. Like, I'm trying to, like, you just look at everything. Like, I just want to, like, capture it. I'm, I'm taking notes to write down later when I get home because it's like I don't want to forget anything. And, you know, like to be sentimental about it and I know we're gonna get you don't worry guys we'll get to MMA news soon but <laughs> I do I am looking at it, it's like dude one day I'm gonna when I'm gray I'm gonna be talking about that time that you know I went to Abu Dhabi during the pandemic to cover UFC you know dude. and yeah it's like yeah and they treated me like this and the plane was like that and the world was you know the way they do things is just different so that's exactly how I'm feeling. I'll, I'll admit that to you for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, let's uh, talk about it. Conor McGregor. Oh, boy. He gets his own weekly segment. Thank you, Conor. You keep tweeting and we keep talking. You know, I'll say this. Uh, um, when the Conor show rolls into town, it's always the talk of the town. So I do get that. I do not like that we're kind of doing this maybe yes, maybe so. I kind of want us to be like, okay, January 23rd, UFC Apex. Let's stop with the nonsense at this point. Um, so very bluntly, um, if you guys haven't heard somehow, Conor McGregor did accept the UFC's date for January 23rd, 2021. Remember, he had come out and said, no, I want it to be 2020. It looked like there may have been an opening for a minute after Usman Burns fell out in December. To me, um, I think that this is probably the best compromise. They obviously announced an, both November and December have doubleheader pay-per-views. So I think that Connor in January makes sense. It'll be pretty much a year since the Cowboy fight, which he may not like, but... We don't like a lot of things, how they've gone down in the pandemic. So I think that all in all, that's probably a happy compromise. Conor McGregor is coming out saying he wants it at Cowboy Stadium. Cowboy Stadium is taking fans. They've been doing Cowboy games at half capacity in Dallas and socially distanced fans. Dana White, though, has come out and said, look, you know, we have a great relationship with Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. He he's saying things will change after the election. There is a high possibility of that. I'm not going to get into politics, but I will admit it may be something on the table. Um, uh, I'll say this. Let's say that there are half-capacity fans. Do you think in the end that UFC will try to do a Cowboy Stadium, or do you think that they'll just cut the cost and uh, keep it at the apex for January 23rd? No man, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna go to a venue, an outdoor venue, probably Cowboy Stadium. Um, I mean, right now the options are limited. Right? How many states? I'm trying to think of like uh, all the other sports. How many of them are actually allowing guests? Uh, Texas, obviously. Um, Florida, Florida. Think a bit. Yep. Yeah, and uh, when the Chiefs played their opener, there were games. So like the I don't know South were... and Midwest, a bit. Yeah. Okay, so you have options, Dana White, and if anyone can, um, we've seen, this whole year has proven, if anyone can get something done, it's Dana White and the UFC, but I think that they are going to do uh, something outdoors uh, with the crowd, 
for Conor McGregor. Dana White is still salty. Like you could see how he was still burning about it when he was talking to Brett Okamoto saying, no, you know, uh, um, yeah, he was even a little defensive. He's like, we already have uh, fights booked for the end of the year. You know, there's no, there's no room. It's like, come on, you really, there's no room. <laughs> You're not going to make room for Conor McGregor. Nah, of course he could have. He didn't want to. It's personal. And uh, he's trying to, you know, now it's a matter of principle. He's trying to make a point and keep McGregor in his place. That being said, uh, I do still think they're going to do it with a crowd. He just doesn't want to give, you know, give anything to McGregor right now. He wants to keep him waiting, keep him concerned, keep him whining. Uh, but they're definitely going to do a crowd. It's just a, you know, mind game right now. Dana White's playing with Conor McGregor. It's like a straight up personal thing. That's how I feel. I'll say this, and I'll be honest, it's, it requires knowledge that I don't have. I think that you have to ask yourself, how much revenue is to be gained from a half-capacity Cowboy Stadium? Because let me tell you, Conor McGregor can bring half-capacity full Cowboy Stadium. Okay, compare that with how much does it cost? Okay, like Jerry Jones, friends and family discount for UFC. Yeah. Okay, um, how much does it cost to rent it? Remember, what's the first thing that happens when you have fans? Well, you suddenly have to pay, you know, suddenly there's costs for concessions. People forget, but there's a first aid team and, you know, medical for a live event, not just for the athletes, but for the spectators, stuff security. like that. Yep, yeah. security. Add all those costs together. Are you still... Are you making more money or are you making less than if you were to just do it straight pay-per-view, no costs at the apex? That Now, mind you, if it's still lower or if it's comparable, maybe Dana White is like, well, why would we go through all that trouble? I get that. If it's higher, I'm sorry, but Dana, what are we waiting for? Let's do it. I'm in. So, you know, I think that that's the one major factor is that if it's going to go down, if it's going to be Cowboy Stadium, how much money do they have to make? What's the discrepancy? But I think if it's uh, noticeably higher, if it's anything over 25%, 30 mm, if it's about 40%, I think 40% is the number. If you're making 40% more revenue, I think that that's worth the risk personally. Okay. I have a dumb question, though, that I didn't think about when I was going on and on about how they will definitely have a crowd in January. Go for it. Is Conor McGregor, like, in... I, I know he goes everywhere. Like, I see on Instagram he's traveling and stuff, but can he come to the U.S.? Like, with this... COVID? I am 99% sure. And I'll say this. Even if he can't necessarily get on a charter, you know, on a flight, regular flight, I do believe that they have the pull and the money, like... Put it this way, anyone could get anywhere right now. They just have to be okay. like, oh, well, you know, private flights, special VIP VIPs. And, you know, VIPs can mean political and business, etc. They can also be public figures who can pay for a flight that is, quote-unquote, safe in terms of travel, COVID, etc. Which yeah. Conor McGregor obviously can. So, yeah. Okay. I don't think okay. there's a question about that, you know. I think that's, yeah, he, he could get here for sure. Okay. <laughs> um, I do like this. I do like the way the wheels are turning. I will tell you that. 
Um, I think it's good. I'll be honest, Cowboy Stadium for the first event with fans back. That'd be nice, Natalie. I, That's the thing is that I optics, like it. right? It looks really good for the UFC to be able to be like, guys, we did it. You know, not the first one back with crowds because obviously other sports are already doing it, MLB, uh, NFL. But, like, you got Conor McGregor, you got Cowboy Stadium, like, January, New Year, new presidential term, I will say, because we don't know who's going to win. And, uh, you know, I uh, I think it looks good for them. It's another thing they can brag about. So I'm still leaning yes, but only time will tell. I mean, I'll just say this. I personally, I am ready for a change in the status quo. I think that we all kind of are. I think even the fighters are a little bit. I think that there's, um, you know, there's something about that live crowd feel, you know? And, like, look, they talked about it with Loma Lopez, right? Imagine if they were in, like, a packed Staples Center or something for that fight. Dude, it would have been wild. And, you know, not that it wasn't still great, but, you know. I think anyone will tell you, like, it's just made all the more epic when you have those thousands of people on their feet down the stretch in a close one. So I think that that would be good. And certainly for a Conor McGregor fight, if there's any event that, you know, warrants bringing in a crowd, it's Conor. So that'll be a really good one. Uh, Final note on our news front, uh, Pewter Jan versus Aljamain Sterling. I'll be honest, you talked about the timing, and I I would be remiss if I didn't say it's like, well, you know, they didn't announce it until they had, you know, it's not a coincidence that the same day that he pushes, you know, that they announced January 23rd that you kind of shut the door on it because, you know, for fans who don't know, champions make a cut of the pay-per-view revenue which means when you put champions or a star like Conor McGregor or Jaime Masvidal that gets a cut of pay-per-view, what happens is you don't make as much money on the event. So that is why they save it for special events when they do a triple header with the belts and why those are so rare. When you add Conor, who probably gets the biggest percentage out of any fighter of pay-per-view, then you talk about adding a champion and then possibly adding another champion UFC doesn't make the cut of money, especially if, especially if there's no fans. So, they announced Aljamain versus Peter Jan, which really shut the door on making Connor happen in December. Um, I was a little shocked because we've been waiting for this announcement forever, but Dana White says, hey, it's just the way the timing went, and, uh, you know, etc., etc. All I know is this is the best fight at Bantamweight. I think it makes the most sense. I like the run that Aljamain is on. Since losing to Marais, he's just looked great. He's looked better. I mean, look how great did Corey Sanhagen look, and look what Aljamain did to him. I mean, uh, I think that that says everything about his credentials as the number one contender. Then for Pewter Jan, I mean, you, he, he took on legendary Jose Aldo. He didn't take on, you know... You know, maybe missing a step, slowed down. He took on a Jose Aldo who looked like the guy who was just tearing through dudes at 145. And he outlasted him and he put him away viciously in the fifth Mm -hmm. round. This is a great fight. 
I like it. Um, I like that it's happening in December. I think that it just moves everybody along at a great pace. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's the matchup to make for the belt. Um, a great fight. You nailed it with describing Piotr Jan and his performance to win the belt. He's a vicious dude, and he, he just kind of stomps, uh, you know, pushes forward like a, makes me think of like a Terminator, like one of the earlier versions that mm. can't really glide. Like it's not a T-1000. Like what was the one from it's the not, first movie? It's not like one, it's not one of those fast Terminators. It's the original no, no. Arnold stalking <laughs> it's forward. It's the original like animatronic or stop, what do they call stop motion yeah. <laughs> one? And not because he's not smooth or fluid, but he just like trudges forward with this power. And mm-hmm. that's what he makes me think of. So he's dangerous. Eljo's improved vastly. He's confident. He's a great fighter, a great grappler. What I'm really looking forward to, though, is I almost want to get this one out of the way so that uh, this kind of discounts Aljamain Sterling. We don't know who's going to win, but it's it's hard for me right now to think that Piotr Jan wouldn't be able to win to defeat Aljamain Sterling, which makes me think of the next opponent for uh, for Piotr being Corey Sanhagen. So I, I'm getting too far ahead of myself, but it's hard not to imagine that being the scenario down the line. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that... um. With Corey Sanhagen, look, things are heating up at Bantamweight, and I know they're talking about Frankie Edgar, Dominic Cruz, and all this other stuff. Um, I like it. I think the, you know, we talked about a little bit, where does TJ Dillashaw factor in when he comes back? Um, You know, I think that all of that remains to be seen, but for sure, there's big fights for both Aljo and Pewter, depending on who wins, but... um. I'll say this, and I think we saw it a bit at Bantamweight. We kind of were shocked by it at Flyweight. Is you had long-standing champions like Demetrius, and then you kind of had the double act with Cruz and TJ for a while. You kind of want somebody just to hold on to it for a minute. And so yeah. in that way, I definitely get what you're saying with Pewter. You can't sleep on Aljo. I mean, I know we kind of want to see some greatness, but... Aljamain Sterling got all the tools to shock him too. Not that it's easy. I like Pyotr Jan. That dude, you know. I, I don't know what it is. It's just the way he carries himself, the way he does media, but he kind of looks like he walked out of that Siberian blizzard. I know he's from Russia. I get it. And he <laughs> trains in Thailand, but you know what I mean. He just plays into it and he just is like, you know what, I've been through this. I ain't worried about no man in the cage, you know, especially in warm weather like Vegas. So <laughs> I think that, um, you know, he's got that appeal to him. He's got that quality to him. So I think that it's going to be a very, um, it's a very fun fight. And I think that that's all you really need to know. We get into X's and O's in December, obviously, but I like it. I just like that it's coming together this year for all parties involved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but good stuff. Um, in terms of other MMA news, I mean, I think we're just kind of all floating around and waiting for, just waiting for stuff to go down, man. You know, we're just waiting for them to get back. And I feel like, I know they've announced a bunch of November events, but I feel like we almost need them to play that graphic with the whole schedule for November. Because I think we have the pay-per-view and then we have the Derek Lewis card, right? And Derek Lewis Blades, I think they announced Santos and Glover, but I think that, uh, I'll say this, for me personally, I kind of need to get past the Fight Island stuff in order to reset, like, okay, what do we really have to look forward to? 
Yeah, what's our what's our holiday schedule gonna yeah. be? Uh, yeah, for sure. Are we having holidays? <laughs> I don't know. Sure? I keep thinking about that. We keep my husband and I keep talking about like, what are we gonna do? What's everyone gonna do? Nobody yeah. knows. I'll say this: I've never seen. I mean, take all the election out of the way. People are split. You're either someone who has gatherings or you don't. There's yeah, no in between. Much. Like, my neighbors back home are apparently having a party, and it's like, y'all don't care. Which, you know what, it's just them and their family, and you know what, go for it. Like, I, I get both sides. If you're saying, you know what, I need to live my life, I get that. But then yeah. I also want COVID to end so I could go back to Disneyland, so I get that too. Yeah, yes so very, to both. I'm very conflicted. I would like, you know, yeah, yes to both. I mean, I'm there's... Very, I get both sides. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to live my life, but I also want Disneyland to open back up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I would, you know, love for the day to come when. Now I don't really go anywhere, first of all, because I'm a boy. But I would love for the day to come when imagine I don't have to think about. Imagine how much fun he'll have. Do I have a mask in my pocket? You know. Imagine how much fun he'll have at Disneyland in his little oh stroller God. with the little Mickey Mouse mask. I know. See what I mean? He's so he's so cute. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, before before we lose more people, let's get back to. Yeah. The, Okay. <laughs> UFC 254 this Saturday. I will be there if you haven't figured that out yet, and I'm very excited. I've come a long way to be here, and I just <laughs> want to point that out. Anyway, um, let's start uh, bottom up. Um, first off, big co-main event with Jared Cannonier versus Rob Whitaker. Uh, this one, um, I had a good fight to compare to, and it skipped my mind when we got going. But the fact is, you have a very, I'll say, conventional striker in Jared Cannonier. Uh, he's similar, I'll say he's a little bit like Brian Stan. Nothing necessarily too dynamic. He's got great power, and he does the basics so well. He's a durable guy. He's got great experience. He's multifaceted. You know, you can't just take him down and hold him. He does understand that people want to take him off his feet, and he's good, you know, He's very competent at defending that to staying on the feet where he wants to be. Um, Robert Whitaker, a lot quicker, better footwork. I think he's just faster and more explosive in terms of surging forward and then getting back out. I think the fights with Yo Romero really illustrated that well. Um, against Darren Till, it was kind of like, you know, I described it as two fighters just kept throwing grenades at each other. They came with a shotgun and an RPG, and they just like, like faint, faint, throw a bomb, faint, faint, throw a bomb. Very unusual, but I think, you know, obviously Whitaker won that one. I need to see a stick and move Robert Whitaker personally if he's going to win this thing. I think that if he starts trying to headhunt with a guy like um, Jared, that just plays into Jared's strengths. I think that Cannoneer is going to be looking to use... One, he's got great kicks, very powerful. Chop him down a little bit, kind of force that fight into the mid-range and get Whitaker maybe to want to exchange some shots. I think Whitaker, if he could keep it at long range and find his timing, you know, similar bit to uh, Ortega versus... There it is, you know, Ortega versus Zombie. We can see Whitaker doing that, but I think if Jared gets, you know, the more time this spends in close range the more it goes to Jared. And with the kind of power, both of them, but more so for Jared, uh, it just starts to really swing in his favor too. 
Yeah, this is a this is an interesting matchup. For me, I'm thinking more. I know you know we did see um, Whitaker fight already. When was that? July, right? When he fought Darren Till. Yep. But I'm still wondering about his psyche, like having all those issues preventing him from you know the canceled fight um, against Calvin Gastelum, the loss to Adesanya. You know he went through a lot, and he looked. He looked good against Darren Till. You described it perfectly. But for him, I think it's he's at that point where, like, you can either keep winning and then you go right back to face Adesanya, and that's daunting. Or is this, you know, was was your championship run the, the peak of your career? And you, you, There's no way you can't wonder that. So I think this is an important match for that reason. Can he continue the climb can he keep an up-and-comer a prospect down or is this going to be the signal that you know he's he's going to become like a gatekeeper uh in the near future so i'm curious how his mind's doing you like i said you described it perfectly he's fast he's quick he moves awkwardly but well because um you know he doesn't stop he's always going somewhere it's just a little bit awkward unorthodox style of moving a little bit unorthodox style of like the way he lunges forward with his punches, but hey, it's got him this far, so it works. That's his style. When I think of Cannoneer, I think of a beast. He's just uh, the way he the way he defeated Hermanson with those punches. It's just like murderous intentions. Like he's just, you know, it looks like he's just been trapped in a room for you know a hundred years, and he just got out, and he wants to you know, beat everybody up. That's the feeling I get from him when he's in the cage. He's really efficient. You know, he doesn't dance around. And uh, that would be an interesting contrast with Whitaker, who who does that awkward sort of movement. Um, this is a tough one, though, because they're, to me, they're very different. And so he has good takedown defense. He's really strong, uh, Cannoneer. Whitaker also does, so are they mostly just going to stand and bang? Probably. Who's got the heavier hands? I think it's Cannoneer, and so I'm kind of leaning his way. But uh, um, I don't want to make a pick yet until until you give us the green light. I mean, one more thing I want to bring up is the uh, the mental factor. Remember that uh, Whitaker, um, no injury, but he remember he cited burnout, and he was set to fight Jared in March. And he just mm-hmm. said, like, I I just can't do it. I, I just need to step away from the fight game. And, uh, you know, so is there a little bit of, I don't want to call it intimidation, but there's certainly a factor. There's a factor that, you know, Whitaker, like, he had this fight and he took himself out of it already. Jared had this fight and it was taken away from him already. There's the title implications. I think it touched on a bit is just, um you know, Arasanya has kind of named Cannoneer the heir apparent to the next shot of the belt. And if it's Whitaker, Dana White did mention that, hey, the first their fight, Whitaker Arasanya did great business in, you know, the Southeast Asia region, you know, over there, Australia, New Zealand. So I think you put all that together. Um, that really, really does open the door, you know, like this is a very important fight, plain and simple. Um, I think that a lot of people, because the Whitaker fight was one-sided against Adesanya, that they'd like to see Cannoneer. I think that uh, if you're Adesanya, you feel like Cannoneer is maybe one of the last steps toward a sweep of the division. Jack Hermanson is there, Darren Till is there, but, you know, 
um, with both of them having those losses uh, last year, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, it can be a little, um, you know, I, I think that the water is cooled down that, you know, hypothetically, if we're going to get something like Jones, sorry, Jones versus Adesanya, yes, I'm going to go there, but if we're going to get maybe Adesanya moving up to 205, I think it happens faster if he beats Cannoneer than if we're left wondering what's going on with Whitaker. And not for nothing, if let's say Whitaker wins and the Till versus Hermanson winner gets a great, great finish, you know, Adesanya might be like, I want someone new. And give me Till or give me uh, the Joker. So, high stakes fight, for sure. And a lot of pressure to look good against dangerous opponents. So, I think that says everything about why this is probably one of the most firework promised fights on the card. I'll go... You know what? No, I'm going to go... I'm going to let you go first. I feel like sometimes <laughs> I do it and I convince you of stuff. So, you know what? Hit me with it. Me? Impressionable? No. Um, okay, I'm going to pick Cannoneer. Yep. I think Whitaker will be able to evade that forward, you know, stalking pressure of Cannoneer's for a while, but eventually something's going to give. Cannoneer's going to catch him. I predict a TKO. Um, this is a three-rounder, right? Yep. yep. So I'm going to go TKO actually round three. I think it's going to take a second, but not a... So it's not going to be super fast, but I think they're going to they're going to fight it out for a little bit. Cannoneer is going to eventually win. So TKO, Jerry Cannoneer, round three. Oh boy, I, I I get it. I can see it in my mind, yeah, Jared. I, I completely get it. I completely get it. But you know what? Uh, this is um, which fight did we just see? You know what? It's kind of like Holly Holm, Irene Aldana. I think a lot of people mm. are forgetting just how good Whitaker is. I know how dangerous Jared is. I know what he could do to him. But I just feel like the Bobby Knuckles who beat Romero twice is going to show up, you know? And so I think that this is the sign that he's motivated. He wants it. I think that um, he's got the size to do it. I am going to go Robert Whitaker, unanimous decision. I just think oh. that he's going to outlast Jared Cannonier. I think he's going he's gonna to stay out of the way of that, the danger zone, so to speak. I think he's going to land enough shots with his speed. And I think that you know it may not be the prettiest fight that we want, but I think he's going to be able to outlast him that way. Okay, so. I like it. Yep. Robert Whitaker for the win. That. Final answer. Okay. Oh, wait, this isn't uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. <laughs> I watched a lot of game shows when I was in Vegas in the quarantine. Okay. Now I've been doing a lot of the Netflix and Disney Plusing and stuff like that to kill time. Are you yeah. watching new things on Netflix or are you like going for the old uh, classic but goodies? I found, uh, I'm trying to find like series I haven't watched in a while. So a bit of reality TV and a bit of other stuff just to mix it up so i'm not just watching like the same show all day and getting sick of it like treating it like i'm at home and i have different programming okay <laughs> anyway <laughs> you know but anyway so you got jared i got robert let's break it down natalie habib one? Okay. gaichi you know it's like um it's I, I love the promos where it's just like one name like habib justin then they just don't really say anything else. Yes. Um, you know what? Um, let us start with the 
the, the big question, is Justin going to be able to defend the takedowns? Like when you, in your heart, what does your heart say that whether or not he's going to be able to do it? I believe he's going to be able to do it for a while. And if he doesn't finish or uh, not finish, but if he doesn't at least slow Khabib down, tire him out a little bit, right? If he doesn't bring down the gas, uh, lower the gas tank uh, um, of Khabib's a little bit, then uh, that ability to defend will diminish like, like it does with most people. Connor, Iaquinta, right? Those are the only two people I think that had the best takedown defense, although Iaquinta probably the best. He didn't, I don't even think he got taken down for very long at all, if any. I can't In the recall. latter half, he, he, he stayed on his feet pretty well. Yeah, so of all, of all the 155ers, that's the guy who's had the best show um, against the wrestling of Khabib. So I, I do think Justin Gaethje uh, will be able to, to stave off the, the legs getting tied up and being pummeled on the ground for a long time. And that's kind of all I think Justin Gaethje needs. A long time. Not a full five rounds to stave off Khabib. Just a long enough time. And so to answer your question, yes, I think he will have success. What do you think? You know what? Um, I'm actually with you there. I think that um, he's going to be... Look, Conor McGregor is not the best grappler in the lightweight division. But even he showed, you know, you could be very prepared and you can... You know, he was defending takedowns later in that fight. He was actually, you know, Habib fresh got his hands on him and Connor was doing a little well for a little bit at the beginning there. I think that Justin is a lot better. I think that really the key to it is, okay, Habib's going to try to push him and get him down. I do see Justin being so ready. He's going to just be like, all right, first takedown, he's going to go for it. I really think that it comes down to the break. I think that Habib does a good job after you defend. You're kind of trying to reset. That's where Habib kind of goes back to work, right? The chain wrestling. I think as soon as Justin gets a little bit of space, he's got to make him pay. He's got to earn those points. He's got to do damage. Because if you're taking your time after you defend the takedown, I think that's where Habib really starts. It's mental game, right? I think that's where Habib really starts to get away with it for a lot of guys is that, okay, you know, even if you defend it, you're still so worried thinking about it that I kind of just get to go again. Justin needs to break that cycle. He's really got to let his offense go. Um, I'm not saying do some crazy like go for a flying knee and, you know, get taken down or something, but be willing to let the hands go on the break of after you defend the first few takedowns. I agree with you. If Habib... You know, if we're going 25 minutes of attempts, I personally don't see Justin Gaethje defending 25 minutes of takedown attempts. He has credentials on paper. He doesn't use them. And I tend Mm -hmm. to be of the philosophy, if I don't see you use it, I'm not going to assume you have it hidden in the bag at a high level randomly to pull out. Now, has Justin really faced wrestlers in his UFC career? No, he's tend to you know he's fought a lot of striking, ba- you know striking centric fighters. Yeah, this is gonna be the real key. Just how good is it? If it's that good, well, you know what? It's the best kept secret in MMA. If he doesn't, <laughs> I think that you know we've seen fights like with Habib and Poirier, um, Habib Ayakinta. You just kind of you know you could defend those few, but it's just gonna slowly wear you down. Um. 
I think that Habib, uh, the big X factor for him, um, if he faces adversity, we know he's been through a lot in his personal life with his father. Is he as focused? You know, does he, can he rally? That's a big question because very rarely does, is he in a position to have to rally? And if he finds it against Justin, can he do it? Um, uh, just really overall, physically, uh, even kind of like Ortega, what is he added? How does his striking look after, you know, it's more than a year since the last one? I mean, uh, all of that is very real factors. If he comes out looking a little improved, Hey, we got quite the fight on our hands, but um, yeah, there's a lot of X factors there, but I think it really comes down to it. If Justin can do damage after defending a takedown, favors him. If he finds himself hesitating on the break because he's ready for, he's anticipating Habib doing it again, it becomes a longer night for him. And we know what Habib can do, obviously, with his resume. So that's what makes this one such a good fight and such a tough fight for both guys, so. <sighs> yeah. I'll go first. Are we at that <laughs> okay. time? Do you have anything more to add? X's a, little, and a little bit, actually. Go for so, it. Go for so it. We've covered it all pretty much. I will just add one thing about Justin Gaethje, which is, you know, we've seen his striking. We talk about it all the time, but the first two fights in the UFC were so different from the, the Gaethje we see now, especially this last fight against Tony Ferguson. What he does really amazingly well, um, and I'm stealing this from inside the octagon, so I can't take credit for it, but I will point out what they, what they, uh, um, uh, turn me on to which is uh what he's so good at is after he throws a, uh, a slip right it's like he slips and then sh and very quickly he has great speed with his hands and his legs and from short range slip offense slip offense so he slips throws a punch slips throws a kick and that's really important uh against someone like Khabib because if he's slipping a strike which Khabib does throw he has his eagle punch and he you know his jab that he used so effectively against Iaquinta um, if he does that, uh, and, and Gaethje can slip and with speed come back with something hard, he throws those leg kicks so hard, he's got heavy hands, that's going to be great for him. And with the takedown attempt, if he has something ready that hopefully isn't in the illegal zone with someone having a, you know, a limb on the, on the canvas, you know, he's drilled flying knees. You said it like, you know, maybe it's sort of like pie in the sky, uh, mm -hmm. um, Jorge Masvidal, um, Ben Askren kind of thing, but. I kind of see that this could be happening as a flying knee of coming out of Gaethje off of a, a Khabib takedown attempt. So in any case, I just want to point out how good Gaethje is at throwing offense off of a slip, off of an evasive maneuver. So I'm really curious to see how he's going to do that with Khabib, who's, who threatens at all levels of, of, a, of, a, of a fighter, of an opponent, right? Like you're worried about everything now because his shots do hurt. His shots, his one shot knocked down Conor McGregor or sort of knocked him backwards, right? Um, you're not expecting them to come at the weird angles they come at. So that's uh, that's very interesting for me to see uh, from Gaethje. Uh, stay on the feet, get back to his feet. That's, that's going to be his goal, right, uh, with fighting Khabib. And do you think Khabib has a chance at hurting Gaethje? I mean, Gaethje's so, look at the size of his head. Like, he can take a punch and a half. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, you know what? It's similar to the con when he hit Connor with that one shot. It, he can. You could hurt a lot of people. He's got to surprise him. If he's yeah. in the pocket trading, it's Justin Gaethje going to take it like champ, like he's the zombie. But 
you know, if he's kind of not seeing it coming, he's expecting the takedown hands low and it just just got that momentum behind Habib, boom, maybe he can uh, stun him a little bit. But if he knows he's trading with Habib, I don't think see, I don't see it happening that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Let's put it this okay. way. Uh, Robert Whitaker can be expecting Jared Cannonier. He will get hurt. Put it that way. It doesn't <laughs> matter how ready you are. But um, Right. Um, ah, boy. Mm-hmm. When you have... Uh, I'll say this. Every time I look at this fight, I'm like, there's a lot of factors that should lean the way of Justin Gaethje. I kind of see it, if you remember Johnny Hendricks when he fought George St. Pierre, and he seemed to have all the qualities needed to shock him. He had the hands, he had the defensive wrestling, he had the toughness. Dang, it was such a good fight. He pushed him. But you know what? GSP just kind of found that next gear to get the job done. (sighs) I love Justin's style for this fight. But I also think that similar to Loma Lopez a little bit, when you have a challenge like this, I think that the IQ and the abilities of Habib are going to be pushed to the limit. I think he's going to find that next gear he needs stylistically. Uh, I think that he's going to find the way to get him down. And I think that he's, you know what, all of that energy, all that stuff you're expecting from Gaethje I think it's he's just gonna be a wet blanket he's just gonna take this cold fist of ice and he's just gonna crush it over that candle of his spirit on the ground (laughs) and he's gonna just you know go Habib time for the win within three rounds oh my goodness double g what (laughs) three rounds you think that Khabib is going to overwhelm Gaethje at such a speed, at such a pace that he'll finish him in third, third round? I think he's going to get him down. It's similar to Poirier. You know, Poirier, you could tell he was so ready and all this and that. The second Khabib's on top of you doing his thing, man. It's a, just another... You realize how cold and deep the ocean is. <laughs> <laughs> You see the creatures you, in the sea that you, even know existed. You've been swimming for years, and then you realize just how deep it is. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay, okay. I mean, no doubt. The pressure of Khabib, the entangled, like that boa constrictor pressure, so far, undefeatable, right? And it's like a little bit like Floyd Mayweather, where whatever opponent you throw at him, you're fine. You're desperately searching for like the thing that you really can, can get behind as the thing that's going to defeat Khabib, you know, that's it. This person has it. They have this unstoppable new trait, uh, new style. Um, I don't think it's necessarily Justin Gaethje has something new, something that someone hasn't already tried with Khabib, but he has these X factor, uh, uh, X factors, I should say. Um, I literally think the size of his head has a lot to do, is one of them. Like, it's just a big, hard dome that can take a lot of punishment. And um, I don't think he's going to eat as many shots as he did in those first two fights with Alvarez and uh, Michael Johnson. No, Poirier. Poirier. Um, But 
he's going to he's going to eat some for sure on the on the canvas no doubt but i think his hands are are not i think i think it's not not like a guess it's pretty clear his hands are heavier than Khabib so it's just a matter of him getting his hands on Khabib i think he can do it i think he can fight intelligently and the key i think will be fun he will be having fun and we've seen uh how successful he is when he's in that zone the fun zone He's a wild man, he's a beast, but he's got like this childlike quality to his fighting, which seems contradictory when you look at how bloody and brutal his style can be. But I think if he stays in the fun zone and uh, keeps moving, again, stay on his feet, get back to his feet. Being able to do that, I think he'll win. I think he'll have success. I think he can TKO Khabib. <gasps> I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to be right away. I want to say third, but I'm going to go ahead with fourth, fourth round. I think he's going to TKO Khabib in the fourth round. Justin Gaethje for the win. New champion. Khabib, 28 and 1. Mm. I think that's his record, right? 28 and 0? I think it's going to be 28 and 1. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> and then what? No Tony fight? No GSP fight for Khabib? Nah, man. That's over. You lose, it goes to the next guy. All right, let's see. The, oh, this is gonna be a good one. We are split. I <laughs> may have, I may have the. the oh, dude, I got a fifteen-hour flight. What if I feel the sting of defeat? What if, what's the currency in United Arab Emirates? What do they, what do they buy with? Who do they shop with? I forget. Is it UAD United Arab dollars, something like that? Okay. I couldn't tell you. All right, Trust 50 me. UAD. I'll, I'll be honest, like, thank goodness, like, at the hotel, they do the money conversion for you, and it's like, oh, okay. Thank like, God, when they yeah. saw my credit card, it's like, pick your currency, and I saw it in dollars, and I was like, oh, that helps out so much. Yes, totally. <laughs> anyway, but um, there we have it. Guys, follow me at Double G on TV, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I post a lot of clips. I post links to full interviews. I will be here live. You know, we have plenty of stuff. We'll be talking to Justin. We'll be talking to Habib. We'll be talking to Dana. All of that good stuff. So I'll have plenty of access. And I've been posting a lot of, you know, what's going on, what I'm seeing around Fight Island. So definitely be on the lookout for more of that as I break out of the quarantine. You know, by the rules, not just, you know, going wild. <laughs> Busting out. Yep. Uh, Natalie, where can fans find you on social media? Yeah, on Twitter at Natalie Zamudio underscore, on Instagram at Zamudio Rama. And, um, dude, can't wait for you to be done with your quarantine. To live that Abu Dhabi fight island life. Best of luck to you, man. I hope you have a I hope you have a great rest of your trip. Oh, thank you. And guys, we'll be back next week. We will recap Habib versus Gaethje. We will look ahead to Uriah Hall taking on Anderson Silva in arguably his I think it looks like it's gonna be his final fight. Um, by the way, special day we will be on a Monday next week. So you know. Uh, Natalie, I kind of got to take the plane back and I'm going to need, you know, going to need some help with the time adjustment getting back to the United States. Okay. So we're going to have to move things around. Sounds good. All right, guys, until then, have a good one.